Hi everyone, it's Aliza Licht here, your host, and I'm so thrilled to share that my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception, is out now. I hope you'll pick up a copy because personal branding is for everyone. It's for the new graduate starting out, the middle manager looking to level up, the executive who wants to be a thought leader, the entrepreneur starting from scratch. It's for anyone who wants to pivot or transition into something new. Because having a strong personal brand means that your name gets dropped in rooms you're not in and that you're thought of for opportunities that other people haven't even heard of yet. So pick up a copy and I can't wait to hear what you think. Hi, this is Aliza Licht, and this is Leave Your Mark, the podcast, where I brew fresh career advice with some of my most inspiring and successful friends. It's professional advice that you can action immediately, whether you're just starting out in your career or well on your way. With a massive to-do list and a large cup of coffee, I promise that you can get it all done and still have time to post about it. I'm excited to welcome Maricela Herrera Avila, who is the CEO of Elevate Network, which if you do not know Elevate, it's the largest community for women plus at work, focusing on creating a culture of equity and inclusion in business. Maricela, you have spent quite some time at Elevate, over 10 years, but you now are the CEO. You took over in 2022, and I can't wait to talk about the difference between your rise in that company and now the top spot. But for everyone listening, Maricela oversees business operations, growth and strategy. Of course, she works closely with Elevate's chapter leaders, business partners, and champions. And before that, you have a very interesting background. You worked in finance in Mexico And you are someone who thought you were going to do something totally different. And you have a very famous story about how you sort of exited that strategy. But before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit about your background growing up in El Salvador. My background, well, I'm from El Salvador, was there basically until I went to college. And luckily enough, I acknowledge this very much so. And every time I talk about my upbringing, I come from a very solidly upper middle class family, so had the opportunity to do a lot of different things like leave for college. El Salvador is a very small country. It is very poor, to be honest. It's very, you know, economically divided, but also it has quite the history. So when I was growing up, there was a war going on. So I do remember that as I grew up, which I I always credit with a lot of resilience now. And I had a good family that I am still very close to, supportive parents. My mom did not go to college. So she always pushed me to kind of do more, be independent and do my own thing. And thankfully, because of that, I was able to go to Mexico, do my university there and start my career there, like you said, in finance. So just for people who are listening to this and who wouldn't understand what it means to grow up with a war, you're sort of painting like a positive picture, but also this other side that's clearly like a reality. What was that like? You know, it's hard when I look back because to me, it was what it was. That was where I grew up. That's where I was born. That's where it was. But it was very different. Like there were moments where 
you would hear bombs like right around the corner or there was a night in which my extended family came and stayed with us because there were gorilla and taking over houses in their neighborhood. So they had to get out of there. Um, lots of people left El Salvador during the war because it was so dangerous, because there was so much going on. My family decided not to. They stayed. And so I have a very clear memory. And, you know, sometimes I forget a lot of these things, but I do have a very clear memory of one morning, my mom getting up and being like, I'm going to go for a walk. And I knew that there had been a lot of armed conflict in our neighborhood the night before. So I was, I remember being scared to death of, you know, when is she coming back? And like Mm -hmm. waiting by the door, just expecting her to come back. Or I remember playing in the yard and finding the shells of bullets from a helicopter flying by. So those little things I remember, I also remember how much my family was together and how much it was important that to us, we were there. You know, the war stopped when I was around 10 years old. That's when they did the peace treaties and all that stuff. So it was very much in my early years that I had to experience that. So in many ways, I was not even old enough to kind of parse through it. It's been as I've grown up that I've realized it. And El Salvador has quite the resilience story, I would say. And the people of El Salvador are known for being hard workers and picking themselves up. Because if you think about it, a country that's gone through so much, and that's just man-made, but then add to it the fact that we have so many earthquakes, it just keeps going. It's fascinating. It's fascinating. I think it's important because that's a foundational experience that also shapes your own level of resilience as you go through your own life. So you obviously were set out to go on a path of finance. You worked in finance for five years. You very famously tell this story. And when I heard it, I was like, oh, that is classic (laughs) of the last moment of your interview. You had how many interviews already for this one particular role? God, four maybe? Last question, share it. Are you planning to get married in the next two years? What year was this question? 2012. That was 2012. It wasn't that long ago. I mean, 10 years ago. God, time flies. But I was finishing my business school. I was looking for a job. I was thinking going back to finance. And I got this question. And it was followed with, because you're going to have to commit to this company for the next two years, which, you know, would they have asked that of a guy? Probably not. So you hear this question. And you immediately are like, no fucking way. The funny part is I heard this question and I was like, no, no, I'm not planning on getting married in the next two years. I just. Oh, so you answered it. I answered. I went into it with it because I was. In shock. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, what's going on? But also because I think. This is what I've realized of myself after years of thinking of this. I was still in a box of what success looked like externally. And so to me, that was so important that I was kind of in this moment of like, this is what I need to say to get this job. 
and this is what I need to say to move forward, which looking at it back now, I'm like, oh, God, no. But at that moment, I just answered. I didn't even think twice about it. So did you get the offer? I did not. So afterwards, I withdrew my application to the job. I don't know if I would have gotten the offer because what we were talking about that moment was it was the last interview before I went to meet the CEO. So I was going to travel back to Mexico to meet them. That was kind of what we were discussing. And right after that call, something didn't sit right, right? Like I answered, but something didn't sit right. For sure. So I called Janet Hansen, who is the founder of 85 Rods Now Elevate, who at that point I had, you know, met and had a relationship with and had been like kind of helping her on the side. And I called her and I'm like, you know, something doesn't sit well with this. Like I just had this interview. And so she was the one that shook me awake and was like, are you kidding me? Like, of course it doesn't sit well with you. Like, come on. And so at that moment, I was like, wow, it's true. And how not right that for me in this industry and in Mexico, like that was so normalized. So after my call with her, I kindly said I was going to withdraw myself from the process because it wasn't going to be a good fit. It's interesting because Janet came from the world of Goldman Sachs, right? Mm -hmm. So she understood the idea of like committing yourself to a job. I mean, the hours there could not have been easy. Right. But it's interesting. Do you ever think back to that interview and think to yourself, well, that was one person's mentality and that you shifted your entire career direction (laughs) based on one interview? Does that ever hit you? You know, that was the tipping point, I would say, but it wasn't based on one interview. There were a few things by that point. One, I really wanted to stay in New York. I loved the city. And I had explored the banking industry in New York City. I had explored investment banking. I'd explored finance and different, you know, kind of avenues while I was in business school. And what I was realizing is that wasn't for me. The actual process of meeting people, which you do when you're figuring out what you're going to do next, or if you're not doing it, you should be doing it. Meeting people who are in that world, meeting people who are going through what your job would be, opened my eyes of how different it was here versus Mexico. So it was very, very different. And I realized I I, I kind of didn't like the people. (laughs) The fit wasn't there. So I think instead of me trying to keep pushing against what I had already seen wasn't necessarily going to work. It wasn't going to work for me, but it also probably wasn't going to work for them. I decided to give something else a try. So those kinds of decisions, especially coming from a family who is sort of rooting for your progress and your education and you've trained this long, how does your family feel about this pivot? Just leaving everything you've worked for. You're like, just kidding. I'm going to go do this other thing. Just kidding. Um, Thankfully, they're super supportive. They were very, very supportive. I kind of have a feeling they thought it was going to be temporary, not, you know, 10 years (laughs) later. (laughs) What excited you about what Janet was building? The mission, first and foremost, 
I've always been that I want to change the world type of person. Like even when I was in finance, I mean, what I did in banking was low income housing development. So there was always like a little part of me that was like, what can I do that is using my skills? Because no, I'm not going to go build houses. I can't build a house. Like, But what can I do with my skills that can make a difference? The other thing that really excited me is I love building puzzles. I love putting things together. I love kind of seeing how things fit. And what Janet was creating, and I thankfully had had kind of an inside view to it while I was in business school and I was helping her out, and, you know, kind of doing a business plan with her. It needed to be built up. It needed to be put together in a way that was more of a business because it was kind of a passion project at that point. We were three people. And I thought that as a really great opportunity for me to try to do things from scratch without necessarily taking the risk of I'm going to start a company of my own. So speaking of my family, another reason why they were very supportive is I come from a family of people who are very entrepreneurial. So my dad has a family company. My brother is a very successful serial entrepreneur. So it kind of was something that attracted me, but I didn't know if I wanted to start something from scratch at that point. So it was an interesting proposition of both exploring social enterprise, but also with a very solid starting ground. For people who aren't familiar with Elevate, how many members do you have at this point? Over 200,000? Yep. We have a ton of people around the world. (laughs) That's a ton of people. And how do they come together in the various forms in the community? Elevate. Like you said, we're the largest community of women plus at work. And what we try to do is build safe spaces where people can really come together and talk about work, the good, the bad, the ugly, feel validated, feel seen, get your confidence and learn something new, get advice, and then come back to work. And can we change the way businesses kind of work right now? The way that people get together is we have tons of programming, both in person and online. So in person within our 30 plus chapters, we have happy hours or workshops. So, you you know, you can find whatever fits your need. And then online, we have pretty much both local meetups or programming like roundtables where you can come and every week we have a topic of discussion, 15 minutes of a guest expert, and then you get time to meet and network and talk about the topics with other people or our community circles, which are much more affinity-based. So for example, we have a community circle for Black Women Plus, a community circle for the LGBTQ plus community, a community circle for mothers and caregivers, and a few others. But it is a way where you can kind of find your people within this really, really large network. Because what we've seen and what research shows women really to be successful need two types of networks. You need a very broad network where you can get kind of your tentacles in uh, opportunities and kind of have a pulse of what's happening and kind of get that because your next opportunity is much more likely to come from a loose connection than from someone really close. But you also need those very close people and that your people, basically, where you can have much more honest conversations, where you can like really show up as yourself. So we're trying to build those two networks in one place. So you started as an employee, obviously, working closely with Janet, the founder. You worked your way 
through various roles. Yeah. And in 2022, you were appointed the chief executive officer. How did that change your mentality about your job? Oh, that's a great question. So, in a way, my mentality had to switch from being one of the colleagues, one of the team, one of the pals to being on the decision making role or on the this is where my vision goes or where the strategy goes. And I tried to not have my mentality completely shift because I do believe in having really human centric workplaces and having those very strong bonds with your employees. But it definitely had to change in the what are we doing next? One of the biggest changes I've had with this role is that I'm more public facing, which I wasn't before. I would say that's been one of my biggest switching of mentality that I'm trying to balance out. I need to think a lot more of what is the next, you know, 10 years versus what I was thinking, what are the next three years? So it's certainly a little different in that way. But thankfully, I was faced with it before in some way, shape or form that it wasn't such a, oh, God, what am I doing now? What's interesting is it's the difference in, you know, when you talk about COO, you're going from a place of strategy and logistics and then at CEO, there's an element of vision, right? Mm -hmm. And it becomes a question of, well, what is your vision for the future? And that can be a really daunting thing to think about like, well, who am I to be the person who decides the vision of this massive network? So how do you motivate yourself, inspire yourself to think big while also being able to focus on what's actually happening around you? You're absolutely right. When I took the role, I was getting from every single side, I was getting the question. So what's your vision? Let's elevate 3.0. What's elevate now? And having been there for 10 years, it's really hard to switch of like, this is how things have been done, or this is where we were going to, okay, now the world is kind of your oyster and kind of where do you think is where we should go? What motivated me to like, okay, let's sit down think through what does the market look like, but also what does our community want is the community. Really, because I've been here so long, I've gotten to know so many people who are part of Elevate and listening to them and knowing what they care about and having built these relationships that pushed me forward. And particularly because a lot of the people I was talking to I would hear, we love Elevate because X, Y, and Z, or I don't know what I would do, or you guys were a lifeline through COVID. So when I heard these things, it was like, okay, there's a big responsibility I have to make sure that this community continues to be as powerful as it is, as helpful as it is to the individual members in our community. But then there's always one thing in my mind that I think is what makes me more motivated than anything, which is how can we use the power of this community to actually create change in the world? So that I think has been a big driver for me since before I had this role. So for example, we do our annual summit, Mobilize Women, which is happens every June. We started it in 2017. This is where we talk about really harsh topics that I'm very passionate about. This is where we talk about 
is gender a social construct? What about social justice? What about politics and their role in the workplace? Because I'm sorry, they're not necessarily separate. It affects everything. So kind of that's where my little inner, I want to save the world child comes back. And that pushes me to see, well, how do we do it? The other thing that I think is a really secondary character, if you will, to your position is that you are Latina and you are very vocal. And I know that you are someone who has used that in your career to really have a seat at the table. For people who are not like that, for people who can't find their voice, what would you advise them to do? Find your allies. You're going to be louder, even if you can't be loud yourself, you're going to be louder if you have people around you that can support you. And by allies, I mean your sponsors, your mentors, just people you can bounce ideas off of, or people who will have your back if you're in a meeting and want to say something, or if someone's taking over your idea, take that as a place to start while you develop your voice. I hate the idea of fake it till you make it. I just hate it. But in reality, it does work. Eventually, you will have to speak for yourself, but it's a process to get there. I don't expect a lot of people to be as loudmouth as I am. I love the idea of building the muscle, though. I think that that's great advice because you can sort of take baby steps towards finding that. One of the things you've said that I think is really poignant is I'd say the biggest obstacle is believing that hard work is enough to be successful. What else do you need, Marisela? Well, the truth is, as women, we've been taught more than men, to be honest, that if we keep our head down, if we just keep doing our job and doing our job well, we'll be magically rewarded. And meritocracy is completely true. It's not true. Unfortunately, that's not the way the world works, right? Yes, you need to do a good job because you have to have some goods to back up what you're saying you can do or that you have the ability to do, but you need to not only keep your head down, you need to make sure that people are noticing your work. You need to shout out from the rooftops what you're doing and how it's good. You need to find those people in your corner. You know, this is where the building that muscle comes to because you need to be able to know the people who are going to give you those opportunities, know the people who might help you find a path or have your back or showcase your work because no one's going to think about you for a role, for example, if they don't know you. You know, yes, you've done great work, but does anyone know? (laughs) I could not agree more. I mean, I have a whole book on brand coming out just on this topic (laughs) of personal branding. One of the things that I also think is really interesting about how you speak about your career is that you really consider yourself a generalist more than having a niche. And it's funny because I think a lot of people think that they're supposed to really like drill down to a niche or focus on something to be known for from a skill set perspective. Do you think that being a generalist has helped you? And how do you see yourself in that way? Look, if you had asked me that five years ago, I would have said, absolutely not. It's the worst. Don't do it. (laughs) Don't go find your niche and like drill down into it and make sure that that's what you do. 
nowadays, for what I wanted to do, which was lead an organization, I'm not going to be doing everything, right? I have to have the capacity of identifying people who can do everything or who can do the very specific thing that they need. And so being a generalist, A, personally works for me because I'm a very curious person. So I get to learn a little about a lot of different things. It's helped me develop an understanding of how to identify people who are going to add value to a team. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's easier to have a conversation to find where you need more value or where you need more support, where you need more people who are much more focused into one area than I would have if I had only been in one specific role. So if you want to lead an organization, I think it's good to have a kind of wider array of understanding. Now, what I do think is it does make it really hard to think about where are your next steps and your next opportunity because it's so broad. So I do think it's helped me, but the reason it's helped me is because it's also been accompanied by a lot of self-reflection and learning about both what am I passionate about, but also where am I good at and understanding that and being okay with saying, you know what, this is not an area I'm good at at all. I know enough to know that I need to find someone that knows. (laughs) So I think if you are going to go that route, you have to be very honest with yourself of understanding your shortcomings and being okay with that. So it's really helped, but only because I have years of therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Marcella, what would you say is your superpower? One thing. Um, I think I am very intuitive. And I think this also goes hand in hand with the generalist thing. I think I have developed a way to trust my gut much more. I wish I did it more, to be honest. Little by little, again, another muscle. I've been developing that to understand that sometimes you might not know exactly how you know something, but you kind of, you know something. (laughs) I think that's so true. And you know what? You feel it in your bones and you're like, right. I mean, listen, I'm very gut intuitive also. And sometimes too quickly decisive um, where I'm like, okay, maybe I should have thought that through for maybe 2.3 more seconds, but I get it. I totally get it. So you obviously have taken this role on in 2022. You have vision for where this is going at this point, but how do you ultimately want to leave your mark? What is the headline of the future for you? Oh, wow. If I could do anything, what I would like to see is people being able to show up as they are. I think the reason I do what I do is because I believe that you should feel like you belong. You should walk into your workplace and feel like I'm valued. I'm cared for. I can contribute ideas and not because I look different or my hair is different or whatever not feel like you're there. So for me is, can I build that space within this community so that 
even if you don't have it in your workplace, because I'm a realist, I'm a cynic in many ways. I know it's going to take years and years and years to change the workplace. But even if you don't have that right now at your place of work, you have it in this community where you can show up as you are, where you can just feel seen and feel validated and understand that you have tons of power. I love that. And I think it's also very important because I think what you're saying is it's like the difference between inclusion and belonging. Yep. You hear those words a lot, but that is like, you're not just there. You belong there. You belong. I love that. Thank you. Marcella, this was great. I'm so excited for you in your new role. And I know you're going to crush it. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Leave Your Mark. If you want more career advice or tips on personal branding, make sure to pick up a copy of my new book, On Brand, Shape Your Narrative, Share Your Vision, Shift Their Perception. Want to land your dream job or kill it in your career? Don't forget about my first book, Leave Your Mark. If you want me to speak at your company or at an offsite, or if you need consulting services, please go to alizalick.com. I would love to connect with you there and on social media. And just remember this, if change doesn't hurt a little, it's not change. Keep on rocking.